following message is from the 2015 IBCD Summer Institute, equipped to counsel. Father in heaven, we thank you for the joy that's set before us, that one day we will see you face to face, and uh, we will see Jesus Christ, our Savior, the wonderful counselor, and you, Holy Spirit, the other counselor, as you draw us to the Savior and to the Father, we pray that we will worship you, serve you, and that, Lord, we will be better equipped to love your people, to love you. Strengthen us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, we're uh, looking at some difficult cases. These, again, some of the details have been changed. Uh, Hopefully they're unrecognizable uh, in terms of the actual people, but these are real cases that have uh, really... uh, transpire. Uh, The first two I dealt with in the other hour, some of you were here, those were ones that on the surface, they didn't work out well in the sense that the marriages were not preserved. But because of God's people and people being involved, we could really call those a success in the sense both of those were two women who were in situations being taken advantage of by ungodly husbands who claimed to be Christians, and uh, they got protection from the church. These, uh, on one level, will turn out to be positive cases, so I'm giving you a mixture. Uh, This one I'm entitling, From Bad to Worse and Back. Uh, A couple comes... Under these circumstances, husband is a professional working in an office with other professionals. Wife uh, is also working elsewhere. No children, both professing Christians, uh, both involved in leading youth in the church. So committed Christians, presenting problem, husband has committed adultery with someone at work. So they come in, uh, four sessions. This was uh, a a case where I counseled and my wife, we team counseled. That's, again, another subject for another time. How do you work together as as a couple? Uh, It can be done. Uh, It takes practice, especially if... My wife's doing 20-some cases, and I'm doing 15, 20 cases, and we have our different ways of doing things. And then you come together. Uh, It takes a while. It's like dancing. Someone has to lead, but it can be done well. And so we counseled together because the wife had come in. She was next to almost suicidal. She was so upset with this whole situation. Uh, Came in, saw my wife, and then both of them came in four sessions together. Um, I saw him for uh, uh, on a loan. Uh, she saw the wife for a loan, and then we did 12 sessions together. Uh, again, this was not unusual in, in the sense that uh, repentance and faith and real understanding of Christ is really involved um, Man obviously needs to come to repentance. Wife needs to maybe have some repentance of her own because she's ready to kill him. 
understandably. She wants to squeeze, you know, the life out of him. You've been unfaithful to me. Um, in the midst of all of this, complicating fact. Now, there are members, like I said, of a church doing youth work, very solid church, uh, good elders, good pastor, uh, really take oversight over people. So they're in a good, they're a good situation. So that's what's happening. And we're dealing with what repentance was, etc. Then all of a sudden, in the midst of this, comes the news, and we haven't really broken through. We're still working and wrestling through. They know what they need to do. I, I have to forgive. I need to repent. What comes out is there's been a continuing pattern in this man's life. He had been unfaithful before. She had known that. That came out in counseling, which obviously made things even worse. Now, if you can imagine things being bad, how many think that's bad? Okay, it gets worse. What happens is, finds out woman at work is pregnant. Okay? Now we have a complicating factor. Not only, you know, all this is going on. Are you going to leave this other woman and be faithful to your wife? More importantly, are you going to be faithful to Jesus Christ? Are are you really going to repent? Because your sin, really, yeah, it's against her, but it's really against Christ. I I have a new saying now, and uh, this doesn't make people unimportant. But I say, if you've been sinned against by another person... You are at least number two or four in line. Anyone know about mortgages? Who knows about mortgages? Okay. If you have a first mortgage and a second mortgage or a third mortgage, right? Who has the right of sale? Holder of the first mortgage, right? This is a free. I throw this one. God's the first mortgage holder. Okay. And you all got to get behind him. So... It's God first, you're second. Now, if you want to be fair and give each person to the Trinity, then you're number four in line. So either way, you're two or four. But the bottom line is to tell people, until that first mortgage holder gets this deal sealed, you can forget you getting it straightened out. Because the sin is primarily against God. No, I'm not treating you like chopped liver. But if you don't understand, if they're not going to repent to God, they're not going to repent to you. It's that simple. So in the midst of this, now the complicating factor is woman's pregnant, thinking of having an abortion. Now to add the guilt of adultery on top of it, woman goes through and has the abortion. Now I got blood on my hands. You know, my kid. Well, it's your kid, yes, but, you know, uh, the kid's dead. And so uh, this is complicating. So what I mean from bad to worse, okay? Now, if you think that gets bad, okay, we're working on repentance and all these other things. Uh, The church does step in. The elders work with him. He's accountable to call people when he's tempted, etc., etc. It all breaks down when the abortion comes. And the guilt's so great, he sort of almost freaks out. The wife gets worse, and he ends up getting disciplined by the church. Because he, he won't repent. You know, he says, I know I'm wrong, I know I'm wrong, but... 
I can't stop thinking of this other woman. I can't stop thinking of the child that's uh, now gone. Uh, what can I do? How can I live this way? So, so that's the dynamic. So, eventually, he's disciplined by the church. Wife divorces him. But he does genuinely repent. As best as the church can see him repenting. He ends up, however, marrying, guess who? Who wants to guess? Yes, he marries the woman from work. Huh? Uh, the other woman has biblical grounds. She divorces him, refuses to be reconciled, leaves the area, and says, adios, I'm done. Now, Rolodex up another year later. Uh, I haven't seen him. Uh, church says, we think he's repentant. We don't know. He leaves, goes to another church, marries this other gal, and guess who gets to have the privilege of counseling them? Why? Because they are almost at fisticuffs in terms of, you know, what's going on. Um, Now, because the relationship starts out this way, you can see there's an awful lot of guilt, a lot of struggle in the second marriage. And uh, eventually, it almost comes down to where uh, the wife uh, begins to think that he is, they they have a child, begins to think that maybe he's molesting that child. Irrational, no evidence of it whatsoever. Okay? Now, um, Rolodex another year later, they see me on the street, they wave to me and pull me in, and they say, We just got to talk with you. Uh, We want you to know God used you in our life. Uh, I don't think so. I think I told you a lot of truth. I didn't see an awful lot of fruit in your life that would indicate that, you know, God was moving. Well, um, yes, uh, uh, my wife realizes now with uh, children, um, she has a life-threatening disease. And uh, God used the life-threatening disease in that woman's life and his to really turn things around. So um, I can't say that it was really the expertise in the counseling or whatever, but they, they really testify the things that you said to us about God and, and what you said to us about his grace as well as his chastening hand on us. You know, we see now that, that in spite of our sin and the starting out the wrong way and everything going down, here we are, and we want to thank you. Now, why do we do that? Because I don't know about you, but oftentimes in my life, I get real discouraged. Yeah. The prophets, go read the prophets. You know, it's not, it's not a fun to be called to be a prophet of the Lord. Yeah. Either get stoned or killed or ignored or whatever. And yet, at times, 
Uh, let's see, from bad to worse and back again. Now, this is a man who obviously uh, needs growth because obviously he struggled with lust all his life. There's a pattern of lust, and even though there's repentance and now a stable, hopefully a stabilizing relationship, ongoing pastoral care will be needed for this man to walk, you know, in holiness, free from, you know, uh, from lust. Interesting case, his is always women, as opposed to pornography, never any pornography. It was always real women. So, uh, you know, for some guys, talking finally free from pornography doesn't mean anything. It's it's live women. So, um, that case is a case where two things. Loving but firm confrontation of sin, calling sin, sin, and pointing to the grace of God, plus a good church. And in the midst of that, I didn't give you one other detail, there was someone at work. Work's not all bad. (laughs) There was a Christian man at work who really helped him to come to real conviction. You know, besides being disciplined by the church. There's somebody who just constantly was saying, look, you've got to get right with the Lord. You've got to get right with the Lord. You know, this, this is not going to work. You can't go this way. You're going to destroy yourself, destroy your life. Yeah. So again, um, not approving of the way this has come out, but uh, certainly um, yeah. the second wife, why are we not surprised that she struggles with jealousy and wondering whether he's going to be faithful or not, right? I mean, in a sense, like to say, she's a partner in the crime, and so she's got struggles. So, so each of those have to be worked out. And in the context, my wife working with me was the perfect ideal you know, for the women, you know, because obviously they can identify with a woman, you know, better. And it's way better for my wife to lovingly, gently bust their chops than me. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's some things guys can't do, right? <laughs> it's like, I can't be a labor coach. I mean, just let's face it, I'm just, it's above my pay grade. I've been there for five births. They were all my kids. Uh, they don't like to admit that, and they don't think they really are. I go, look, I was there when you were conceived. I was there when you were born. I was there when you came back from the hospital. You're a Scipione. Like it or not, there's no doubt about it. You're a Scipione, and you're not getting out of this one, okay? Because uh, some of them are so different from each other, they go, couldn't possibly came from the same place. <laughs> you know? uh, so uh, it's better to have a woman there to be able to relate to the woman in that situation. And again, just keep saying that, men shouldn't be counseling women alone, but especially when it becomes to sexual matters and immorality. And I mean, who's better than my wife who you know, ran a pro-life pregnancy center for 10 years in San Diego before Planned Parenthood sued them and ran them out of business? You know, uh, she's the perfect one to sit there and work someone through post-abortion. So a lot of different dynamics in in this case. You may want to ask questions about this, okay? Um, We'll take another case after this one as well, but uh, uh, 
Uh, yes, ma'am. What about the first wife? Um, would would you suggest counseling for her? What do you do with that? Well, yeah, the first wife needs counseling in the sense like we all need counseling when we're going through difficult situations. She didn't make him commit adultery. I mean, I have to tell this to women all the time. Women are so sensitive the way God's made them, they'll sit there and go, it's my fault that he committed adultery, or they'll begin to, to wonder about that. Then I go, duh, let's figure it out. Let's go. Did the guy have a problem with uh, pornography and masturbation before he met you? Yeah. Well, hello. <laughs> this is his problem. Now, you can make it worse, but the point is it's his problem, and it antedated your relationship. And yet, in terms of that dynamic, you know, women, uh, again, women work with women better on this, but what woman likes pornography? You can't compete for two reasons. One, because usually they're better looking than you, okay? And two, they'll do things you won't do, <laughs> okay? Because they're a figment of someone's imagination in the sense that it's not real. So you have to work the woman through, it's, it's not your fault. Now, for example, if the woman withholds herself unjustly from her husband for like, say, seven months, then you have a case for saying, I think there's something wrong. People do that, and I've said to them, really? You haven't had sex for a year. I said, that's amazing. That's the, most, that's the longest prayer meeting I ever heard of. <laughs> what do you mean, prayer meeting? He said, well, it says in 1 Corinthians 7, except by agreement for a period of time, you're supposed to have regular sexual relations. So obviously, it must be a long prayer meeting. <laughs> and of course, they look at me like I'm crazy, but I get the point across, you know, what's going on here. Uh, but, but a woman has to be assured, no matter what you do, his sin is his sin. Whatever. Uh, I had one woman once, I said, you know, uh, she was tempted. She ended up actually committing adultery. It turned out that she, um, he wouldn't have relations with her. I won't go into all strange details. It wasn't homosexuality. It was a very strange kind of thing. But he was withholding himself, okay? And for a year, they hadn't had sexual relations. And I counseled them for two months, and I finally said, look... Hate to say it, but here's the thing. He's not going to do anything. I don't know what the reason is. I haven't got to the heart of the matter, but I can only see one way. You need to take him to the elders of the church and bring charges against him. I said, I'll back you. She goes, yeah, sure. I can see it now. The elders get up. Uh, Joe Cholenso is barred from the communion table because he won't have sex with his wife. Forget it. I'm not going that direction. Okay. So a year later, uh, on a lonely night, she went out one night stand, and uh, she committed adultery. And uh, in God's providence, it was interesting. It was that thing that really was like a slap in the face to the husband that realized, hey, I've provoked her. I provoked her to this, you know. And that he did come to repentance, and the marriage was salvaged, and he changed. Uh, but uh, normally. The person has to be told their sin is their sin, 
You can make it worse, but it's not your fault. Yes, sir. Second marriage or remarriage. Okay, the second marriage. Was there was there marital counseling, biblical counseling as to you know the guy had a history of adultery? Right. That's probably not a wise thing to marry that daughter. Right. No, that I know of, because again, because of the affair at work and everything else, when the first marriage broke up, he was still entangled, and then he had to be told. Just remember, you need to repent to this. Remember how this relationship started. Until you admit to God that you were a poor leader, you know, and you brought this woman into a marriage through sin, uh, you know, I think he has to go through that process of repentance. But they didn't. They just went out and, you know, got married, you know, I think improperly at that point. His second wife, no. Uh, well, here's here's the quick answer on that one, which may be not enough time to actually answer it adequately. Okay, I have that in my marriage and family notes. If you want to get my card, I'll send you the notes. But here's my take on this. Deuteronomy 24 is an interesting passage. It says... If a man has a wife, okay, and he gets displeased and he sends her away, gives her a certificate of divorce, it's the one that Jesus and the Pharisees argued over, okay? It says, if she goes and marries another and then he dies or divorces her, first man can't have her back because she's defiled to him. So... It depends on your view of the Old Testament. Is there any carryover to the new? That becomes an exegetical question. I would take the position, because that is not typological of Christ, it's not something that's fulfilled in the new covenant and taken away, just like murder. Murder was wrong at the beginning, before Mosaic Covenant was wrong there. It's still wrong. So a divorce where you take someone back God says that's an abomination in his sight. And so I take the position, once there is a divorce and a subsequent remarriage, you can't go back to that other person. So you may not agree with that exegesis or the application, but your, your church would have to determine that. People have actually called me and said, I think I know what you're going to say, but I had to check. You know, I was divorced from my husband, the church excommunicated me. I married another guy, and that fell apart. And guess what? And it's genuine. I've really repented. And I want to come back to the church, and I want to come back for the kids' sake, you know, to my ex-husband. See, that becomes an ethical question. Uh, does that displease God because it's a kind of a moral confusion, or is that just something that's tied to the old covenant, you know, and we could go around about that. And the elders, again, would have to make a determination. So I, wouldn't, I would say, first of all, even now, whether the second wife died or not, he needs to go and humble himself before this other woman and say, I destroyed our marriage, not you. Because until he's really repentant, that shadow is going to be cast over the other relationship. 
Okay, any other questions that one before we go to the next case? Okay. Okay, we'll go on to another case, and then at the end, if there's time, I'll ask. I'll let you ask any questions about any cases. You can bring up your own. Okay. This is the spirited pastor and disgruntled wife. It's sort of just descriptive. Okay. Um, this guy is a, a new pastor, independent church, pastor of youth, found uh, biblical counseling through ACBC website. Once biblical counseling. Uh, wife had also gone to a Christian college and had some training in biblical counseling. I think that's significant, okay? Um, presentation problem. Problems in the church and an inability to get pregnant was creating problems in their relationship. Fairly young, only married about two years. Desperately, they wanted to have children, but it seemed that they were not able to conceive. They had gone to... Um, to uh, uh, a doctor in terms of an infertility doctor to try to get some help, and they were trying, you know, to conceive. Um, there were some problems in the church in which he was serving. Um, it's a long story. They were moving more from a, a liberal bent into a more conservative biblical uh, stance in the church that he was working in, which is a good thing. The church, the church was, okay? In other words, he was in an independent church that had come out of more of a liberal stance. The church was becoming more conservative, you know, and he went in as a youth pastor into this church, okay? Um, they both have uh, Christian backgrounds. Um, the... Gal had really been depressed. She lost a very close grandfather. Um, her sister's husband had had an affair. And um, uh, there was a tragic death of a friend. So kind of perfect storm. All these things were happening personally. Pressure in the church. Uh, pressure in their life. All these things were happening. And... Um, they had gone to Christian counseling, but there were no resolutions. And uh, they were not biblical counselors, per se, but had tried to get help. Uh, as they describe themselves, the husband says, I'm persistent. I'm excitable. I'm likable. I'm a leader. And uh, I'm, I'm somewhat self-conscious in terms of being a new pastor. The wife described herself as nervous. Impatient, moody, often blue, uh, very serious and shy, more of an introvert and um, quiet. And um, he was, you know, you could see she kind of, life was tough for her. Him? You know, have to be optimistic to be a youth leader, right? If you're going to be a youth pastor, you can't be a bummer. 
they get fired or killed by the kids real soon. So, so he's all optimistic, you know, and she's, you know, but he does admit, hey, I'm rushed for time. Uh, I'm kind of overwhelmed. I, I just don't really know what's going on, uh, etc. Now, here's how they, they write and describe the husband. Uh, we've got marital tension. Um, uh, my wife wants to become pregnant. You know, I'm trying, but it's not happening. Maybe felt like, you know, Jake, what? Am I God to give you children? Rachel, stop blaming me. You know, I can't give you children. Okay. So, um, uh, what have you done about it? Um, I'm here. Uh, I'm trying to keep worrying. I, I keep worrying about this and trying to work on it. And what do you want us to do? Well, help us to obviously, we need tools, you know, to deal with this. And what brings you here at this time? Uh, just getting settled in. And we looked you up on the ACBC uh, site. And I just figured that, you know, it's time to get some help. Anything else we should know? Yes. I just moved away from my family. Husband or wife? Husband saying this. So in other words, he obviously is real close to his, you know, family and has moved away for the first time, you know, and there's a deep attachment there. Too much, don't know, but it's really significant. He's saying, look, I moved to this new job. We moved to an area where we know no one. I'm not near my family, etc., etc." For her, she says, the stresses of marriage uh, seem to be unresolvable. Okay? Um, I, I'm just, uh, I just can't seem to get a handle on this marriage and get settled in it. Uh, I can't get pregnant. I've talked with him. I've prayed about it. Nothing seems to be working. And what do you want? Well, help us, you know, and go in the right direction. And, um, well, we basically began to deal with things. Um, Typical case, in this sense, more of a typical case, data gathering. Do you read? Do you pray? What's your relationship with Christ? What's your relationship with each other? How did you meet each other? Why did you get married? What was the premarital counseling that you received? And what was the conclusion of that? So there was data gathering. At the same time, basic to any counseling, tried to build hope. Look, there's been other infertile couples. There's a lot of other couples that can't get along. Okay? This, is, this isn't anything new. You know, this isn't like something from Mars. This is typical stuff that people deal with. And so, um, what to do, okay? Simple, uh, and again, this is very simple for most cases. Please make a list of a log list, what someone call a log list. Take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly. And I'll tell people, and I throw this again. After 40-some years of ministry, I will tell you this. You will never solve problems if people's hearts aren't right. You can give them the most creative, brilliant solution to a problem, and they won't use it. You know, if they, have, if they hate each other's guts and, and they're really holding grudges, it just doesn't work. So anymore, uh, I tell people, you're here to get your problem solved. That's secondary. Oh, really? 
What's primary? I want you to have a right relationship with God. Because if you're right with God, then the stuff is going to fall in the line, and anything I give you might be usable and helpful. But until then, if you're not, unless God builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman watches in vain. So the bottom line is, if you're not building on Christ and through his grace, all the stuff you've been hearing through the conference, it just won't work. So make a list of your sins. And then I give them typically uh, four passages, and I gave it to them. In this order, Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Take the log out of your own eye. Matthew 5, 21 through 26. If you're leaving your gift, if you go to an altar to worship and there remember your brother has something against you, get that straightened out. So take the log out of your own eye, and I typically will say, take these passages, summarize it in one sentence. What's Jesus teaching about forgiveness? Two, come up with one concrete, specific way of applying that principle. I can't tell you how many times they come back and go, Okay, what's Jesus saying? Take the sin out of your heart first. Good, you got it. Okay, how are you going to do that? I'm going to take the sin out of my heart first. I said, no. How are you going to do it? I'm going to, I'm going to look at myself first. No. How are you going to do it? I'm telling you. No, you're telling me what you're going to do, not how you're going to do it. How do you take that general principle and put it into practice? So I'll, and then I, would, I gave them some examples, a couple out here many years ago. So, okay, Navy couple, they're fighting, okay? Not really cool for Christians, okay, but punching each other, right? So they came up with a solution. It's the greatest one I can, I've ever, I can remember. Here's a card. You all remember those old uh, flip-top recipe things? Nobody has them anymore because you've got computers. Put your you know, your stuff on computers. But in the old days, you used to take that metal can, three by five, right? And open it up, and here's the card with the recipe on it. So I can tell the old ones, you're laughing because you still have them, right? Okay. Okay. And so what they did would say anger. One, go to the bedroom. Two, get down on your knees. Three, read these passages. Four, confess to God what you did wrong. Five, write out asking forgiveness to your spouse. Six, go ask forgiveness to your spouse. Seven, if not ready to do six, go back to step one. <laughs> now, I mean, isn't that brilliant? They came up with that. Okay, and it literally transformed over a month or so a family that was punching each other out to, to being peacemakers. Okay, so I'll give them, I'll give them that for free. I so say, here's, here's how somebody handled that. That's why I want some concrete specifics. Okay, so I gave them the four by four passages. Okay, now what you notice that's different between here and all the other cases, I gave them the other two and the previous one. Here's people that profess to be Christians that are actually going to read their Bibles and actually try to do it. Ta-da! Amazing. You know, the growth that can actually happen if God, you know, somebody takes God seriously and tries to do it. Okay? So uh, they do that. Uh, the, uh, the other two are Matthew 18, 15 through 20, uh, 35. You know, the one with Matthew 18 process. And then... You know, there was a servant that owed $30 million, you know, and he, that whole story. You know, you read this, okay? 
And then the last one is Luke 17, 1 through 10. Okay, which is the one Jesus said. Peter says, how many, how shall I forgive my brother? He says, how many times? And the Lord says to him, Peter, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him. If he listens, you've won your brother. If not, you know, he comes to you seven times, remember that, in the same day saying, I repent, you'll do what? You forgive him. You know what Peter says? You better give me more faith. And then Jesus says, hey, I, you know, have faith. You can tell the mulberry tree, go into the sea. It's not a big faith. The bottom line is you've got to do what you're told. He says, now, which one of you who has a slave? Think, you know, you all in Southern California can get this. You know. who, who's out working in the sun, you know, out in the fields all day, right? Come in, eat dinner. No, come in, feed me, then you can eat. Now, what's the servant thinking? There ain't no way I want to feed this guy after I've been working all day in the sun, right? And yet the Lord says, you do it, and you have to say what? I'm an unworthy servant. I've only done what's required. So you make them work through that. And they did this. They began to work on it. And... uh, It was very, very intriguing to see them. There were some problems in the church in terms of the senior pastor. Uh, There were conflicts. I said, look, get together with somebody from your Bible college that you respect. Let them walk you through how to handle these things. I gave them some ideas. So we began to work on problems and forgiveness between each other. Okay? Uh, They were not reading and praying together regularly. So I go, look doesn't take rocket science. Okay? Well, I don't know how we could... Got an easy solution. Works for anybody that can read. Get Spurgeon's morning and evening. Right? All right. You only read once a day. You got two years' worth. Okay? All for the price of one. You just, you just read one of these, the passage of Scripture. You know, you do it yourself. Start reading and praying. So I gave them that. And uh, start praying out loud together, because they had never prayed out loud together. Because she was so frustrated, etc. Set up the rules, and uh, then I gave them some work on forgiveness, and uh, Jay Adams' book, and say, read it chapter by chapter, summarize it, and come in. Um, They did their homework, and it really began to take effect. Began to change the whole dynamic. They began to put uh, these things in the practice. They prayed regularly. Every day they would check with each other to make sure they had forgiven if there was anything you know, left over from the day. And in effect, they started living like Christians. So, have to end on a happy note. Okay, Let them go. They seem to be doing well. And six months later, I get a nice note saying what? Ah, you stole my line. Okay. Yeah. No, the important thing is they're doing well, and I'm pregnant. Okay? So I can't say that everyone will get pregnant if they do what's right. Okay? Especially if you're older. No. (laughs) So, uh, well, you never know. Abraham and Sarah. Uh, 
that's another story for another time. <laughs> I did say that to one one woman. She had five boys. We had one boy and four girls. Just, you get all those girls. We never. I never got a girl. I said, well, you can always try again. She goes, for some things, it's too late. <laughs> but uh, uh, the bottom line is the couple's doing well. And uh, he began to mature in his pastoral work, too, because he began to learn how to handle conflict with uh, pastoral staff in the church. And uh, again, they're on their way. So this is really not an extreme case like those other three that we've dealt with. But um, again, there's some assignments. There's typical things, the log list. Uh, Beyond that, let me uh, give you other things that I find useful. It's what I call a James 3 and 4 list, which is where everybody wants to start. Why are there wars and quarrels? Ah, we don't agree about this. Now, wait a moment. Before you, you got to do the log list before you get to the James 3 and 4 conflict list, okay? Because if there's not forgiveness and reconciliation, we're not going to get it solved. And and, and my usual shtick is uh, when you have an argument, Who's right? Well, they're honest. They go, I am. That's right. And if you're right, that makes the other person what? Wrong. Okay. Well, there's James 3. You know? Why are there wars and quarrels? That's chapter 4. But it's after 3. Where's the wisdom? There's only two kinds of wisdom. And by the way, you may not hear many people around here say, there is wisdom in psychology. But it's not God's wisdom. There's some truth, but there's not a lot of wisdom. Why? Because there's only two kinds of wisdom. Wisdom from above and below. The flesh avails nothing. So the deal is, you know, there's the... How, how can you tell? And this is not me. <laughs> you can ask my wife, okay? I've had to learn this. Uh, my wife did this to me once, she says, in tears. You think I'm stupid. No, I don't think you're stupid. You're beautiful. You're wonderful. No, you think I'm stupid. Why? Every time we have a disagreement, who's right? I had to be honest and go, me. She says, okay, and if you're always right, that makes me wrong. And if you're always right and I'm always wrong, that means... You think I'm stupid. You know, don't say women aren't logical. She had painted me into a corner out of which I could not get. (laughs) She was absolutely right. Okay, So I'm starting to almost man up and admit I'm right. And another thing. (laughs) I know that I haven't gone to seminary, and I know I'm not a pastor. But would you ask me my opinion of what the Bible says? No, but you'd ask Jay Adams, wouldn't you? Okay, 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 I get the point. <laughs> See? So you can use your own sins and failures. I bring those in and say, here's the perfect example of how you have to humble yourself and admit you're wrong. And that's the, the wisdom from above and the wisdom from below. And the wisdom from below, and that's Scipione without Christ. I want to be what? Right. Because I hate the alternative, being wrong, right? And then that leads to chapter 4. No chapter break in the original, right? Chapter 4 says, why are there wars and quarrels between you? These are real simple. There's two reasons. One, 
because you want something, you can't get it, so what do you do? You covet and you kill, and that's where the quarrel comes from, and you don't have because you don't ask. Aha, but I did ask, I prayed. Uh, now, James hits you off that one, too. Here's the left cross, okay? Okay, there's the one, two, okay? You ask and don't receive because you what? Ask wrongly to consume it. Doesn't God want my husband converted? Yes. But you're asking because you want your life not to be miserable, not because you want God to be glorified and him to get out of hell. You know? So I'm exaggerating, but you know, it's usually mixed, right? But there it is. See? And so after they do the log list and work that through, then I'll take the, the other things. What are we disagreeing about? Whether it's discipline of children, use of money, sexual issues, whatever. And then we can go on because now there's forgiven hearts. They're trying to work together. And there's a difference between sin and a problem. Sometimes they're intermixed, intertwined. But you also have to help people in marriage counseling tweak that out. You know, everybody has money problems. It's what you do with it. Okay, question. Uh, do you ever find it necessary to go to your past to determine, like, what the past is Okay, so the question is for the tape say, uh, the question, good question, do you ever go into the past to see the person's background to see why they respond the way they do? Yes, I mean, uh, people always say biblical counselors don't care about the past. That's, that's crazy. We want to know everything about the past. The only thing is we say you're not bound by the past. You're not bound by the past. And even if you were, the problem is now that I know, okay, you were molested as a kid. That's important. I need more compassion. I need more patience. But the fact that you were molested doesn't change you. And you're living today. You're no longer being molested. So you, you live with those bad habits and responses and self-protection. And God has to help you to get over those. And so, yes, it's helpful. But, but this idea that the past is unimportant, false. But it's determinative in the sense of, if I can't change the past, well, we can't change the past. That was the problem years ago. It's probably dead by now, but there was the old uh, thing of the healing of the memories. I don't know if you remember that. Well, and, and I actually had a case. Gal working for, I think it was Campus Crusader, or a similar group. She got gang raped at Redondo Beach. She, you know, she was working out, virgin. You know, she was running on the beach. She got gang raped. You can't make this up, but it actually happened. She went to Christian therapy. They wanted to relive the, relive the experience. See, Because the supposition was, okay, that traumatic experience, which it was, has so bound you, unless we can release you from that past, well, how can we? Well, the idea was we'll go back and relive it. Now, here's the crazy thing. With what? Jesus being there. Now... That shows you how dumb people can be. Uh, was Jesus alive when it happened? Yes. Was Jesus on the throne? 
Yes, because it happened after the Lord was ascended to glory. Okay? We've got a great mystery here. The sovereign God who controls the universe had allowed that to happen. And no amount of rigmarole and working through this and imagining you went through this with Jesus holding your hand and weeping over you when it happened changes the fact that he didn't stop it the first time. That's, that's the reality. And so, so to go back and relive it can't be done. And so knowing it is helpful, but knowledge of the past doesn't change the present unless you humble yourself under the hand, mighty hand of God. So, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, but once you know that, you need, hey, I'm not living in the past. I don't have the abusive father that I had or brother that I had. This is a different situation. I, I, need, to, I need to handle this differently. Had a case like that years ago. Um, fifth marriage for her. Second marriage for him. Brand new believers. First four husbands were heavy drinkers who beat her. This guy never drank, you know, for all his faults, whatever, you know. And she'd freak out. And he goes, why do I, I've never beat her, I've never done anything, why do I? I said, that's who you married. Yeah. All four guys, when they raise their voice, you raise your voice, you're not going to hit her. You've never hit her. You wouldn't hit her. But the point of the matter is, you know, she's flinching. So you need to walk her through that, you know, in the present, in the grace of God, ministering to her as opposed to hoping to get something out of her. So, yeah, it can be very significant, you know, to, to, to learn where did this come from. Um, Past can be significant. Had a gal years ago. Uh, it was a Navy family, and she would have extreme uh, menstruation issues. And she knew that she really had a hard time. Had a, a loving husband, enlisted guy who was trying to help her. But she would really get mad at him and treat him lousy. And she came back one time. And this, I didn't come up with this. She did. She, I know where this comes from. She says, my mom, when we were kids, mom would go through two weeks, you know, her menstrual cycle, and two weeks she would be on the couch, and she, what, expected everybody in the house to jump to her commands and to wait on her hand and foot. She says, I think that's why I'm so impatient. My expectations, you know, I learned as a kid are unrealistic. He is trying to help me. You know, he really is trying to be kind, but it still bugs me. So there's a case where someone can say, I directly have this sinful pattern developed, you know, from childhood. Now, did that free her? No. But it was helpful for her to say, look, I'm not my mother. I'm God's child. I have to respond to life differently than my non-Christian mother did and go on from there. And, and the husband's point, the husband is to help her at that point. He's to help her through that, reading scripture, praying with her, helping her to see things from God's perspective, and always being gentle and patient. Yes, sir. Two questions. Two questions. One, you mentioned uh, the past does not 
know, does not bind us to the present. Right. However, you can have bondage from the past, and spiritual warfare might be called there now based on how do you determine as a counselor when spiritual warfare and you know coming against Satan that sort of thing is appropriate versus it's just something from the flesh or something? That's question number one. Okay, so I'm old. <laughs> Don't give me two at once because I'll forget the first one, okay? And that's been multiplied there, okay? Uh, when it's spiritual warfare, okay? Take out what Vodi says, not only spiritual warfare is corporate, not just individual, but what is it? You can go back in, in Paul in 1 Timothy. He says there's demonic doctrines. So it's not just in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, okay? When you say spiritual warfare, okay? Uh, there, I do not believe there are generational curses, okay? I don't believe that's a right understanding of Exodus 20. Does the sins, do the sins of parents or grandparents affect kids? Yes. But because my grandfather was a drunk does not mean I will be a drunk and my son will be a drunk and my grandson will be a drunk. Okay? They can learn those patterns, but it's not necessary. So when you say spiritual warfare, it is. Okay? But the bondage to the past in the sense of what? How am I bound to the past? I'm only bound to the past by the habits that I form and live out now. So unless a person were literally demon-possessed, I couldn't see how you would say the past dictates the present. So I would say, okay, bondage from the past, um, you know, casting out demons, having prayer marches around San Diego, you know, uh, Casting out all the, 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 the past. It's more like Chinese. Okay, are there spirits? Yes. Are there demonic spirits? Yes. But most Chinese struggle with what? A demonic doctrine, which is all the spirits of the people who have died before us are dependent on our sacrifices to them. So that's a demonic doctrine. So there would be bondage. The spiritual warfare would be, no, you are not bound by the spirits of your ancestors. And no, you, there's only one father of your spirit, and that's the living God, Hebrews. And you need to submit to him. So spiritual bondage, no effect, yes. Can you learn sin? First Peter you have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb from what? The feudal lifestyle that you inherited from your parents. So the spiritual bondage would be, I still worship the gods that my parents worship. I do certain things the way they did. So, I mean, that would be my take on the spiritual warfare, okay? So that's question number one. Uh, I definitely like the uh, coming counseling saying that primary reason is to get right with the Lord first, otherwise nothing else is going to stand. How, if, if at all, does the love there from fire proof, how does that fit into counseling, or does it? Say that again. You're, are you familiar with the, the fireproof, the movie, and the love dare, how the... No. Okay. I've heard of it. Okay. I'm not familiar with it. Okay, so enlighten me real quick. Basically, he took, say, 40 days, and every day he did something positive, beneficial, encouraging, something... Uh, 
scripturally appropriate to express love for the wife. Basically, he invested in her. Um, is, does, does that make sense with uh, all the counseling and marriage and that sort of thing that you're that you've done in so many years? Or? Yeah, you got to do things. You can't just say, I love you. You know, I got to do it. So, yeah, I mean, it's appropriate to say, look, I want you to do one extra nice thing for your wife, not from your list, but from hers. <laughs> <laughs> See, I mean, it, it's guy, I tell you, look, you know, typical guy. He comes in, his wife's on a diet, and she's got allergies, right? So he's got flowers, and he's got candy. Of course, it's the candy that he likes, not that she likes anyway, okay? And so he walks in and presents that. Why? Because he saw that in the movies. Well, that's dumb, you know? His wife, you know what the wife really wants? The screen door fixed, okay? Because the flies get in, and he's been saying for six months he's going to fix it. That's what he needs to do. Go fix the screen door. Uh, that's what will make his wife excited, okay? Or as I tell guys, you know, you come home with that look in your eye. Oh, honey. You know? You know? She's pregnant. She goes, dude, I know what happens every time you touch me. I get pregnant. She's had a day. She's got three kids in diapers. Uh, the, the washing machine broke down, you know, and they all had number 10s. We used to number them. One's just a little bit. Ten's total disaster. Down the leg. The, the clo- can't, you can't save the clothes or the kid. Throw them in the tub. That's a number ten. Total disaster. Okay? All the kids have had number tens. The washing machine's broken, right? She doesn't need candy. She doesn't need, uh, she doesn't need flowers. She needs the washing machine fixed. And you to say, honey, go take a nap. I'll take the kids and I'll make supper. That's what she needs. Okay? So there's nothing wrong with you know making those vows or whatever. But you know, I tell guys, you got to treat your wife like Ming Dynasty china instead of Tupperware. Right? First Peter, husbands, treat your wives according to knowledge. You know, because she's a fellow heir of the grace of life. You know, lest your prayers be what hindered. I look at some guys and go. You know, maybe God's saying, hey, come back when you treat the little lady nice and maybe I'll answer your prayers. So, one neat little cultural thing. I went down to Brazil and I was doing a conference down there, a marriage and family. I'm going back to do one in August. And, you know, I'm in this town and I'm going, dude, I, you know, do Brazilian women know what Tupperware is? Maybe I better use a different illustration, right? So I go back to the I go back to the airport in Salvador, you know, to come back to Sao Paulo, come to the States, right? And there's, what, 2,000 ladies who sell Tupperware. <laughs> I kid you not. The, I could hardly get in the front doors of the airport because there were so many Tupperware women. You know, they had had a big convention at the convention center. It's the third largest city in Brazil, you know, and they all were Tupperware saleswomen. So, so well, there you go. I should use my illustration. It's not a third world country. <laughs> But uh, that was wild, okay? Treat, treat her that way. I don't know if that's helpful or, or not. Okay, any other quick questions? We've got about two or three minutes. Yes, ma'am. Um, so someone like, for example, you have to someone in ministry, like, mm-hmm. how do you know when it's time to tell them maybe it's time to step down from ministry for a while? Okay, good question. Okay, the question is, okay, when is it a good time to tell somebody to step down from ministry? Um, 
That's not a that's not a question for me to answer, really. If the person is in ministry and the supposition is there's no reason for them to be out of ministry in terms of they're not disqualified, you know, with adultery or anything else. Uh, they need to solve their problems. Because think of it this way, ministry is a special calling, but you know, you can't tell the guy who's got in trouble, he's a fireman, hey, quit being a fireman just because you gotta get your your marriage straightened out. The guy has to still support the family. So <clears throat> ministry, uh, two reasons to get out of ministry. One, the person never had qualifications to begin with. And there are some people who I've met who I think charitably I would say they never had a gift for ministry. They shouldn't have been called. to. They misread God's will. They thought they had a calling. Nobody else in the world thought, okay, and they shouldn't be there. Or if somebody sins grievously, I think if a person commits adultery, they need to get out of ministry. Pure and simple. At this time, they're not qualified. So, so if there's moral failure, it doesn't have to be sexual. If they embezzle money or whatever, if they rip off the flock, they should not be in ministry. So, I mean, that's a clear case, okay? Uh, <clears throat> Neglect of family could be an issue if they're not willing to repent or change. Uh, they need to change their schedule. If they don't seem to be able to do that, then maybe you need to say, well, they can't handle it. They need to get out of ministry. But that's something that I don't make, nor does the individual make. I think that's, again, a corporate, you know, my view of ministry is I may have an inner call, but the church has to confirm that. See, unless you are in my opinion, radical, charismatic, so God actually speaks audibly to you today and gives you that call, how can a person know that he or she is called to ministry? It has to be the church. Because God speaks through his body. And if the body doesn't think I have the gifts, then I shouldn't go in, even if I think I have the gifts. So, well, let me pray with you. It is late, and uh, I want you to get up early tomorrow, come back and hear Jim and uh, Heath. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time. Uh, Lord, these are not easy cases. Uh, Lord, people's sin really messes up their lives. And we have the privilege of trying to minister the word. Sometimes, oh Lord God, you bless and there's immediate fruit. Sometimes, Lord, our ministry is godly and yet it hardens people in their sins. And other times, Lord, your word is like a time bomb. It's like a grenade. Uh, They go away, and somewhere down the line, the Holy Spirit uses that word and transforms the person. Uh, Lord, it's your call how and when and where you do this. Uh, Lord, may these living cases uh, give us hope that your word has power to transform. In Christ's name, amen. Copyright 2015 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free audios are available at www.ibcd.org.